morning. Good morning. Uh, do you believe? That's good stuff. Go ahead and give the Lord a hand. That's, I tell you, I was, um, after watching the Republican National Convention last week and sure more of the same this week with the Democrat National Convention, I couldn't help but think, man, we need a fresh touch. We need, uh, we need God to move. And, uh, and it's really worth the salt and light, right? And it's incumbent, even though it's not politically correct to believe in God the Father and believe in Jesus Christ the Son and believe in the Holy Spirit, it is our responsibility to be a light in a broken world, a light in the darkness. And man, well, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Let's just let's do that. Ah, Lord, we, we believe. And we're so thankful. Thankful for what you've done in our lives. Thank you for changing us. Thank you, Lord, for, for seeing us in our desperation and in our need. And Lord, I, I lift up our church first this morning. I, I just pray, God, that you would just move afresh and anew in the midst of us this morning. And speak to us. And help us to be drawn closer to you. And change us, Lord from the inside out. I pray for our country. God, that you would give us direction, that you would give us wisdom. God, that you would move in our country in such a way that we would, could be a shining light for the world to see how you can move in a whole country. We need you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We need an encounter with God. Wouldn't you agree? And uh, I often wondered... You know, when, when reading through the Scripture and you're, you're seeing these encounters with God throughout the Scripture, what, what it might be like to have one of those type of encounters. You know, I, I thought, gee, I wonder how, how it would make a difference in my own personal life to have a burning bush experience or, or to, to see uh, the waters part and to be able to walk across the Red Sea or even the River Jordan or to see the walls come crumbling down. We just need those, those experiences with God. But, you know, our, our, our experiences uh, with, with God, our, uh, our encounters with God, will, will vary. They'll be different, each one of us. So, you know, I want to take a look at a couple of those things this morning. And I got some good news for you. I have basically a one-point sermon. Is that good? <laughs> Y'all like that? And so everybody's like, yay, praise the Lord. I didn't tell you how long it was going to take me to get the point out, though. That's the problem, okay? So just hang on, put your seatbelts on, and, and, and we will get there. I was uh, reading about uh, this atheist that was uh, walking down this nature trail, and he was just enjoying nature, and he was looking at uh, the trees, thinking how beautiful these big trees are, and some of the birds that were there, and he walked out and saw, stood on a, on a cliff and looked out over and looked at the valley and saw the beauty of it, and he was just admiring nature and thought, wow, it's just... It's just, this, this is just amazing. And as he turned to go back through and he's walking through the woods, he heard something behind him and he turned and he looked and there's this just really big bear charging down on him and, and fear struck him and, and he began to run and he realized that he wasn't going to be able to outrun the bear and, and he tripped over a big root that was there and fell down and looked up and, and the bear came up just growling and snarling and took his paw up and was ready to, to strike him and, and, and he cried out and says, Oh God, help me. And the time froze. 
And this bright light came on and a voice from the bright light said, you spend your life teaching others I don't exist? You spend your life working against me and now in your time of crisis, you cry out for help from me? And, and, and the atheist was looking at the light and he didn't know what to say. He says, well, yeah, I, I guess that is kind of hypocritical. Could, uh, could you at least maybe make the bear a Christian? <laughs> so the voice behind the light said, very well. And he disappeared and motion turned back. And as the paw was coming down, the bear stopped. And he put his paw down and kind of bowed his head and he said, Dear Lord, I want to thank you for this food that I'm about to partake of. Oh, well. Our encounters are all a little different, aren't they? <laughs> I want to share with you, uh, one. Of, I have kind of two favorite characters in the Bible. One is um, David in the Old Testament. And, and I really like David because he just messed up. He just messed up so much, but he was known as a man after God's own heart. So that kind of gives me some hope. You know, God also spoke through a donkey in the Old Testament, and that gives me some hope too. So you know how that is. Uh, but uh, the, uh, the, the second one, kind of a New Testament guy, is Peter. I just like Peter because he just, he just loved, he was just so zealous. I mean, he was a zealot. Zealous, I guess that works. But he was always out there. He was the first one out of the boat as Jesus was walking on the water, you know. And uh, he was one of the two guys running to the tomb at the end, even though John was a little faster than he was. And uh, even in the encounter that we're going to talk about after the resurrection, you know, uh, Peter and the disciples had, uh, had been going through a lot. I mean, you think about it. Here they came up and um, Jesus was arrested and Peter was ready to to, to go to war. He drew his sword and cut off the ear of the soldier. And, and, uh, and you know, of course, then Jesus said, hey, look, Peter, before, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. Oh, no, no, no. But, of course, we know the story, right? He did. He, he, he denied him. You know, as, as the mob mentality became and they were swarming over Christ and they were arresting him, you could see that and the fear set in. He, he denied Christ, denied that he knew him three times. And so you can see that it just, it just had this profound effect on him. He didn't know how to even respond as a result of that. And so after the resurrection, he, he goes, he sees Jesus a couple of times. But, but even then, in John chapter 21, what happens is the disciples decide to go fishing. So, man, you know, a lot has transpired. They've spent three incredible years with Christ, and they've seen... Just untold number of miracles. In fact, that's what it says at the end of chapter 20. It says, uh, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But, the, the, but these are written so that you may continue to believe, by the way. But there are so many things that they saw, but yet they actually returned to, I guess, the same thing that they knew. Because if you remember when Jesus called Peter to be a disciple, he was fishing. And he'd been out all night, and, and he hadn't caught anything. And he said, hey, cast your net over into the deeper end. And, and they did, and, and they pulled in such, you know, such a harvest. And, uh, and the same things happened here. So they go fishing all night long. They come in. They haven't caught a single fish. And, and Jesus is standing on the side there, and he says, hey, have you caught anything? He says, no. He says, hey, well, throw the net on the other side. And and they, be, they throw the net on the other side, and then they realize that it's, it's, it's the Lord. And, 
And Peter jumps out of the boat. They're 100 yards out and jumps out of the boat. He's going in. He's not even going to help them reel in all the fish because he wants to, you know, this, this zealousness. He wants to be there. And so they come and Jesus already has breakfast for them. And, and they sit down and they fellowship with one another. And then Jesus begins to ask some questions of Peter. A lot of people think that he asked him three times because Peter denied him three times. But I don't necessarily think that's what it is. And you'll see why in just a second. But let's, we're going to pick up there in verse 15 of John 21. And we're going to read four or five verses here. And this is what it says. It says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Oh, yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know that I love you. Then feed my lambs. And then Jesus told him, excuse me, feed my lambs, Jesus told him. And then Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Well, yes, Lord, Peter said, you, you know that I love you. And take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And then a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. He was hurt he, he, that Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said, feed my sheep. So what sounds like, he just asked him three times. And the first response is, well, he asked him three times, once for each time that, that he denied him. But actually, there's a little bit uh, a different dynamic because in our English language, it's all translated love, but in the Greek, there are actually different terms for love, and we see a discussion going on between the two when you go back to, to the Greek language. See, and I want to show you right here if we can. If you can pull that up. So the first time, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And what he actually said was this, if you'll notice. Son of John, do you, and he used the word agape, agapeo is the, is the tense. But he says, do you agapeo me more than these? And this is a love that's used to talk about the, the all-sacrificial love of God towards men and that only comes from him. We see that in John 3.16, for God so agapeoed the world. And so he says, Simon, do you agapeo me more than these? And of course, Simon Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. But what he actually said was, Lord, you know, I phileo you. Use a different term. And it's, that's a, a brotherly love. We think of Philadelphia, a city of brotherly love. And so it's a term that you would say, you know, to your friend, man, I love you, brother. Well, that's phileo. And so Jesus said, do you agapeo me? And Peter said, Lord, you know, I, I phileo you. And so the second time, do you love me? And Jesus again said, agapeo. Do you, do, you, do you love me with this all-sacrificial love? Do you love me by this love that, that, that I love you? Do you love me the same way? And, and Peter answered, Lord, you know I love you. And again, you see what he said. He said, Lord, you know I phileo you. And so then, as this discussion is going on, a third time, Jesus asked, Son of John, do you love me? Peter, Peter do you love me? But what he, he, he changed his term. Jesus said this. Peter, do, do you even phileo me? Is your love even, do you, do you really love me even as a brother? And that's why we understand that it says, oh, Peter was grieved. Can, can you get it? 
Because he's twice as answered Jesus in a way that he wasn't asked. He used different terms. He used a different word. And so now Jesus comes and he uses the same term. He's, he kind of says, Simon, Peter, do you, do, do you phileo me? Do you love me? And then, of course, Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Using the same term, phileo. So here, here's, here's the real point. Jesus met Peter right where he was. Folks, that's a profound truth. Not because I said it, but because God loves us so much and he desires so much to, to have a, a loving and intimate relationship with us that he left us this word and it has everything we need to have a growing and intimate relationship with him. And he met Peter right where he was. You see, because Peter, Peter was starting to return to, to his old way of life. Now, not necessarily sin, but he was just going back to fishing. Oh, but he had far more in store for Peter. Because he kept on telling him to do what? Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. In fact, if you look at right there in verse 18, it says, I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. He's telling this to Peter. He says, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And he was telling this to Peter because he was telling him, basically, Peter, you're going to die for me. Peter, you're, you're going to give your life for me. And Peter was. He was crucified upside down, unworthy of his Lord Jesus Christ. What a change from a man who, who publicly denied him three times to at the place of his crucifixion. Wouldn't he, didn't even want to be crucified in the same manner, but wanted to be upside down, as history tells us. But what did God do in Peter's life in the midst of that time? I mean, he used Peter in just a tremendous way in the early church to be able to do that stuff, to, to be able to reach out and begin to, to share all that he had learned during those years he spent with Christ. And it was trying and it was difficult. But he met Jesus right. I mean, Jesus met him right where he was. Now, that's pretty good for Peter, right? But, but is that good for me? Is that the same thing? Can, can I expect the same treatment as Peter? Because Peter was a pretty important dude, right? He's one of the, one of the disciples. And, and, and so can I, just Ronnie West, little guy from Ringo, Georgia, can I expect that same kind of treatment? Well, what I like to look for in the Scripture is patterns. I like to see where God does the same thing over and over because God's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, right? He never changes. We, and we believe that. And so if, if we can establish a pattern in Scripture where He does the same thing over and over and He meets people right where they are, then I have to decide, am I the exception to the rule? Are you the exception to the rule? Or is God going to be consistent with you and I? And I believe He'll be consistent. And so we begin to look and we explore. And you don't have to look, but we're just going to talk just for a few minutes about a few other characters and show how they did it. I mentioned that I loved David. So we see where Jesus met Peter right where he was in his denial. But what about David? You know, David, man, he was a king. He was, uh, you know, he, he was brought up. He was a great warrior and all these different things. And there, that, that faithful day, he goes out and he sees Bathsheba and, 
And one thing leads to another. Next thing you know, uh, she's having a baby, and he's having Uriah, her husband, killed. The darkness of sin. And how quickly it, it can take over our lives, and how quickly it can deceive us into thinking that everything is okay. But in the midst of David living in his sin, at that moment, he brings this man named Nathan who holds up that long pointy finger and says, you are the man. And boy, you start reading the Psalms, you see David's repentance and, and how he, he went to the Lord and he just, he, was, he just was wounded so much that he had hurt the heart of God because he loved God and, and God met David right there where he was. In his sin. Think of Jacob as Jacob stole the birthright from his brother and went off and he and he lived in, in, in a foreign land for, for years and he's coming back and he was about to meet his brother and he was afraid, he was fearful, he was in need of reconciliation because he had this brokenness in his family because he had cheated his brother. And the angel of the Lord met with him and they wrestled all night long. He met Jacob in the midst of right where he was in need of reconciliation. Rahab lived in the wall of Jericho. And they'd heard the stories of Israel and how Israel was coming and how they were going to, to wipe out the land. And oh gosh, she was so, they were all so fearful of, the, of their imminent death. And God met her in the midst of her fear. Of what was to come. Gideon was raised up to fight and to lead an army, a huge army of what, 300? <laughs> and God met him in his lack of faith before he went and asked for a fleece to be shown a sign. God met him in his lack of faith. <laughs> Zacchaeus. Oh, what a wee little man was he. Y'all remember that song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Okay. He met him in his greed. In his materialism. His desire for things. Boy, us Americans, we really have a lot to think about there, don't we? We may not be tax collectors, but a little bit of greed and desire for material things. But he met Zacchaeus right where he was even though it was the unpopular thing to do. Right in his need. So we have Peter in his denial, David in his sin, Jacob in his need for reconciliation, Rahab in her fear, Gideon in his lack of faith, Zacchaeus in his greed. Do you start seeing a pattern? Do you get it? But it doesn't stop there. We can go on and we can tell more and more stories. You think of Joseph being thrown into slavery. And, being, and then being lied about. And there he is in his hopelessness. God met him right there. Saul was on the road to Damascus, full of rage and blind ambition. And a real light appeared to him. And it changed his life. He met Saul in his blind ambition. Ruth, her husband died. She was a foreigner. She's a Moabite. And here she came into the land. And now there she was in a foreign land. Her husband had died. And he met her in her loneliness and her need for companionship. 
Thomas, who wouldn't believe unless he put his hands. He met him in his doubt. The the Ethiopian eunuch, he, he met him in his quest for truth as he desired to know the truth of what God was. Miraculously, God met him right where he was. Mary, the mother of Jesus, had quite an unexpected surprise. But he met her in a very special way. (laughs) Well, when you think about the fiery furnace, you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and here they are, and they, they, they stand up for Christ, they do everything right, and now they're being thrown into the fiery furnace, folks, at the very moment of death, at the height of their crisis. There was a fourth man in the fire that was likened unto the Son of God. He met them in their crisis. The woman who was in the crowd desperately grabbing a hold of the robe of Jesus as He walked by met her in her desperation. And every one of you are thinking of stories that I could go on and tell us. We, we see them over and over and over again. But the point is, Jesus meets you right where you are. You don't have to dress it up. Amen? That's good news. You don't have to dress it up. You don't have to change for Him to meet you right where you are. But but guess what? In every single case... Because we look for patterns, right? So we've established a pattern of God meeting us right where we are. But the pattern continues because it's not just that Jesus meets us right where we are. In every case, He demands change. The woman caught in adultery as they're about to stone her. And, and Jesus came and He rode in the sand. You remember that? And He rode in the sand and everybody one by one began to drop their rocks and walk away. And, and He said, woman, where are your accusers? And she said, well, I guess they're all gone. He says, neither do I condemn you. But He said, go and do what? Sin no more. I do not believe that we can have an encounter with a holy God and it not changes. Maybe that's where you are right now. Maybe you've been coming to church a long time. Maybe, maybe you've been a lot of questions. Or, or, you know, I don't know what it is, but man, if there's never been change in your life. What does that mean? I don't believe you can have an encounter with a holy God without there being change. He met me. 14-year-old boy. Wrecked, making terrible decisions. You know, many of y'all know my testimony. Started smoking dope at 11 years old, drinking and partying for years. Just, just making, I mean, if it's a bad decision, I was standing in line just so I could do it, you know? But he met me, 14 years old. He changed my life. You know, folks, I didn't grow up thinking I was going to be a preacher, I promise you. <laughs> Really didn't. (laughs) So now what? You know, the supreme example of God meeting us right where we are is the cross. Right? Would you all agree with that? 
It's the cross. Romans 5.8 says this. It says that God demonstrated His love for us that in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Y'all see the, the, uh, the plates up here as we get ready to, to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning? And that's what it's about. It's about that moment in time. Two moments in time. One, it's about the cross. It's about when Jesus hung there on the cross and held out his hands and he bled and he died for you and for me. It's about that moment in time because that was the, the supreme sacrifice that has brought us to this point, to this moment right now. The second point is that point in time where he met you right where you are. And so as we give out the place this morning, as we begin to really sit back and, and contemplate the things that God has done, here's my challenge for you, okay? Here, here's, here's my challenge. Because, you know, we always have a few minutes to be able to pray and to be able to think about things. My challenge is this. If we ask the Lord, now what? What does the Lord want you to do? Are you willing to do it? Some of you may need to say, you know, I really need to talk to somebody about my relationship with the Lord. I need to talk to somebody that, that, uh, so I can have this encounter with, with God so I can know that I know that I know that He's in my life. I want to experience that change. Some of you just need to say, you know, I just need to be obedient. Man, God's been working on me in something in my life. God, I know that God's been speaking to me and I've maybe been resistant and I just need to be obedient. And I don't know what that is. It might be to, to, to be a part of a life group. It might be to share Christ with a neighbor. It, it might be to take a new job. I, I don't know what it is. Only you can discern what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. But you need to be able to say, now what? Because you know what? When God meets us right where we are. You know, Peter didn't need to get saved again. He was, he was in a place where he was just absolutely feeling worthless before God. How can God ever use me again? If I'm not willing to stand up in, in, in the midst of the crowd, how can God do that? And Jesus wanted to say, ah, Peter, do you love me? Ah, Peter, I want you, to, I want you to, to feed my sheep. I want you to lead my people. I want you to take care of them. I want you to protect them. I, I, God, Peter, I have plans for you. I love you. And you, can, you just cannot imagine all the things I have for you, Peter. You just need to love me. Now what? How do you need to love the Lord? We believe, right? We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus the Son. We believe in the Holy Spirit. What we hold before us now is symbolic of the sacrifice of when Jesus met us right where we are in our sin, in our rebellion, in our need for reconciliation with Him, in our desperation. Jesus said that this is my body. Take and eat. This is symbolic of my blood, which I shed for you.